Hey folks, this is Jack Spearco with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Arlington, Texas today with episode 580 of the Survival Podcast. It is a Wednesday, January 5th, 2011, and today we're going to talk about herbal actions. I had mentioned that we were going to do this show uh, earlier this week and coming through with it now. This is actually going to be the first in a four-part series on um, on herbal actions. There's 40 main herbal actions that I want to convey to you and give you some herbs that, that have them. Today's going to be an interesting show. We're only going to do 10 of them. That way you might actually remember them and commit them to memory. It'll give me time to give you a few herbs that have these actions. It's going to be cool. It's going to be different. <clears throat> Definitely, I've never done this before. And uh, I'm still dealing with the voice, so on the pronunciation of some of the herbal actions, uh, I'll do my best for you. Please remember, I am a self-taught herbalist. I am not a classically studied herbalist, so anything you hear today, you need to fact check if you're going to actually do anything with it, except the herbs I'm going to give you are going to be uh, really very safe things to use if they're used for the things that I tell you about, because most of them are probably in your backyard or your kitchen right now. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors and our housekeeping. Sponsor of the day number one today is a new sponsor. But many of you will have heard from him before. It is the illustrious Chef Keith Snow with Harvest Eating. Chef Keith has been on the show two different times. One to talk about cooking with uh, food from your backyard in general and another time to help us get ready for Thanksgiving. Well, he thought your response to his two visits was so awesome. He wanted to be a sponsor, so he threw his hat in the ring. Uh, the moderators approved him. And um, when the spot became open, I, I, of course, gave it to him. Happy to have him on board. He's a great guy. I'm happy to support the work that he's doing. Glad he's supporting us. Signed up as a six-month sponsor right out of the gate. Uh, that says a lot right there about uh, his belief in what we're doing here. So check out HarvestEating.com. Check out his cookbook. Check out uh, his recipes, his blog. Uh, he's got a membership where you get additional recipes. Uh, if you want to kind of test drive it, just check out some of the stuff on his blog. I, I think you'll see you want more. Um, next up today is Safe Castle Royal. Safe Castle's been a sponsor of the show since there were sponsors of the show. I think he was really my first real show sponsor uh, and just signed up for another year. Uh, again, that says something about what we're doing here and our sponsors appreciating it and wanting to be a part of it. Uh, Safe Castle's an awesome company with just about everything for your prepping needs. Remember, they have an amazing discount club, 29 bucks. And uh, you get that discount club for the rest of your life. It's a lifetime membership. Big discounts on everything they sell on every following order. So it's a great investment. But remember, you're part of the member support brigade. You get that free. Remember that. That's, that's, that's really important to make sure you claim that membership if you sign up for your members brigade. Because that's $29 value. That, uh, that almost pays for your first year of membership right there. Next up, make sure you check out our gear shop. We have some really cool stuff there. The AOCS copper rounds are actually minting right now. They're they're being stamped by the dies and, and produced and should be shipping to us around the 7th or 8th. Uh, they should actually ship out. And then, of course, Sis Wolf and uh, TW out there have to pack them up and get them out to you. But they are coming. There's going to be about 3,000 out of the first run left in stock. If you want some of these things... Uh, anytime in the near future, I would put your order in for them soon. And anything else there at the gear shop, check that out. Remember, those guys are independent. 
uh, when you when you uh, support the gear shop, you're supporting the show a little bit, but you're also supporting an independent business that I helped found and I've kind of been like uh, an angel investor for is the best way to look at it. TW and Sis have given a lot to the show as moderators and all the work they do. Uh, so by supporting the gear shop, you're supporting them back. Last but not least, consider joining the member support brigade. Do that. You get exclusive content available only to members. You get a bunch of discounts. It's a great deal. And I now officially take silver for your membership. More details on the site. Just clip on, clip, click on the banner for Members Brigade or click on the Members tab at the top. Let's go ahead now and get into the main topic of today's show. I do have to start out with a disclaimer. I am not a doctor. I am not a certified herbalist. I am a, just a regular person like most of you that tune in and listen to the show every day. But I've done a lot of study with herbs and herbology. At one time in my life, I actually considered becoming a true herbalist, and I took a few courses and actually did fairly well on the grading portion of them and things like that, but that was a long time ago. I may make a mistake today. It is up to you to check anything before you put anything at all in your body for any therapeutic purposes. The herbs that I'm going to list today are largely safe because, again, a lot of them are in your spice rack, and that's why I chose them for this show, and also to make it interesting and make you realize how we can be taking kind of preventative actions on a daily basis by eating and cooking and using fresh herbs. Um, so with that, the other thing I want to tell you is if you're going to go deeper into this and make any choices on your own, one thing you always have to worry about is what effect does an herb have on a woman who's pregnant, And uh, that's something that you need to check a good herbal guide for. There's lots of great ones out there. And if you're going to be using an herbal guide, you're going to have one. So that's something to always look for. But the next thing you need to do is think about, does the a herb or a vitamin supplement of any kind have any known drug interactions? This is huge. Because if you're on any kind of prescription medication and you start taking something that can have an interaction with it without knowing that and knowing the risk, you put yourself at risk. So there's a book that I recommend that if you're going to use herbs at all, that you have on in, on your shelf in your library. And it is called the Essential Herb Drug Vitamin Interaction Guide, the safe way to use medications and supplements together. And it is by a gentleman named George T. Gossage, uh, who is an MD, and another gentleman named Brian Fox. There's some other ones out there. It's the one I personally have. It's the one I personally recommend. So there's your disclaimer. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a master herbalist. And anything you do... From this show, you need to make sure that it's safe to do. If you're on any medication or you're pregnant, you need to use extra caution. With that, let's go ahead and start talking about this. Because it's really more about, you know, here's the thing. When you get an herbal guide, you sit down and you look at, at it and you start looking up herbs. And you start seeing words in there like apparent, uh, carminative, expectorant, uh, and all these different words. Um, hemostatic, nervine, vacillator. These are some of the ones we're going to talk about today. And that's great, but a lot of us look at that and go, well, what does that mean? I mean, there's, there's some other ones that will actually be in future shows like laxative. right? I think most people would know what laxative is. Anti-inflammatory. Those are the easy ones. But as you're going through these guides and you're kind of self-teaching yourself, If you know the interactions and you have some kind of a frame of reference to go back to and go, oh yeah, uh, you know, that herb is, is anti-emetic, right? And, and you start to form these relationships and every time, and I'm going to try to give you herbs that you're probably already using for your cooking and things like that. And my hope is that when you pick up, you know, a jar from your spice rack and it has an herb in it that has one or more of these actions to it, 
you'll say in your head to yourself, oh, this is an expectorant. It's not what I'm using it for, but it's what it is. Or this is a hemostatic. Again, not what I'm using it for, but it's what it is. So you go out to your garden and you see a plant growing and you think to yourself, oh yeah, Jack told me that that's a hemostatic plant. Well, what the hell is a hemostatic? Well, we'll get to that in a second. So what I have today are 10 of 40. And I tried to pick some ones that are not quite that, you know, maybe the last show is a little bit boring because it'll be, you know, laxative and anti-inflammatory. But I'm trying to start out with the ones that most people that are lay people would know. Or at least would know a couple of them. One or two of you, you're probably going to be able to figure out from the word structure or from, you know, uh, traditional medicine. I mean, all of these actions are also actions that pharmac pharmacological drugs have, right? So one today we're going to talk about is expectorant. Well, there's, you know, cough syrups that have that. So these are just the actions. And then I'm going to give you kind of maybe some reasons you'd want to know about that action. And again, some herbs that have that action. So our first one today is analgesic. That sounds like a big word. Another word that means the same thing and is often used in herbal guides is anodyne. So analgesic or anodyne. Well, what does that mean? It means it relieves pain. And it, it can be, you know, analgesic herbs are generally herbs that can be used either internally or externally. So an analgesic herb may be an external herb that we can rub on something that's sore, like a burn, and reduce the pain. Or it may be something that we take internally as a tea or a tonic or a tincture. And when we do that, um, it, it may help with, you know, pain in other ways. And so what are some analgesic herbs? Well, I bet you know one's probably popped into your head already just from, you know, me mentioning it can be used external. And that's aloe. Yes, aloe is an analgesic herb. It has pain-relieving qualities. And you, it's something you can actually use aloe exter internally. Uh, I'll, I'll warn you that it also has a laxative effect. But it's generally used topically or on the skin. And anybody that's ever had a burn on a finger from a stove or a sunburn that's ever put aloe on it knows how relieving it really is. It's really one of those wonder plants. So aloe. But here's another one that you might not think of. Bee balm. Bee balm is a, a wonderful plant. It's a member of the mint family. It gets these beautiful pink flowers on it. I grow it in, the, in my garden. I really recommend if you're going to grow anything from the mint family that you either do it in pots or you, um, like what I did this year is kind of cool. They now have these new peel and stick tiles that you, you know, you basically peel the back off and stick it down. It looks like tile. They also make them where they look like wood. And they have ones that look like wood that almost look like that snap together or floating wood floor. And they're about three feet long and about four inches wide. And you peel them and stick them and you, you know, it makes a, a floor look like it's a wooden floor. The wooden stuff that I'm talking about doesn't really look that good on a floor. But each section of it at Home Depot is 88 cents. So what you do is you get two of those, and they make a nice circle. And you put that circle, you dig a moat around your, your mint family, like, like bee balm or peppermint or spearmint, and you put that down in that moat, and what that does is it prevents the roots from running. And if you really want to do it right, and this is what I did, you need about two to make it big enough around generally. And then you do it on two levels, so you got eight inches down. Now, it's still going to run some on you, but this is going to hold it back an awful lot. It's worked very well for me anyway, so there's a little added tip there. But bee balm is an analgesic or anodyne type of an herb, an herb that helps to relieve pain, and it's, it makes a great tea. So you can see how that might be used with something like chamomile 
So if you have any aches and pains at the end of the day, you make a chamomile and bee balm tea, and the, the chamomile helps to relax you, and the bee balm helps to relieve the pain. Very gentle, very, very safe. Uh, ginger. Ginger is a pain reliever. Ginger is another wonder herb. Uh, it's something that should be in your cooking all the time because it does so many great things, and it is so safe. And then the last one, a classical white willow. Uh, most people that have checked into herbs at all, it's one of the first things you learn, that white willow uh, is a source of the same acid that they use to make uh, aspirin, which is, I think they pronounce it, psilocylic acid. And uh, that makes aspirin. Well, it's not as, you know, willow bark's not as effective as aspirin, to be completely honest. Uh, it's, it's a much more mild reaction, but it does help with that. So there you go. Pain relieving, again, analgesic or anodyne, aloe, bee balm, ginger, white willow. Um, the next one is, uh, is one you probably have never heard of unless you've studied herbs. And that's antiemetic. Again, antiemetic, uh, some people put it all together in one word, and in some literature it's done with, you know, anti-emetic. And what that actually means is it relieves nausea and vomiting. So if you're sick to your stomach, you don't feel well, uh, you're having trouble keeping food down, these are all herbs that can be used uh, in one form or another to help with that feeling. And again, I'm going to surprise you here probably with how common uh, these things are probably around your home. I bet you I give you at least one that either is in your home or has been in your home in the last year. Uh, some antimetic herbs include anise, um, peppermint, clove, and ginger. Again, ginger is showing up again. I'm trying not to put these things in, but I wanted to put you know a, one or two that would like repeat themselves on occasion to make a point to you. Just because I tell you that you know. Um, Anise is an anti-emetic drug, or anti-emetic, it's not a drug, it's an anti-emetic uh, acting herb. Uh, it doesn't mean that that's the only thing it does. That a lot of these have multiple actions. In fact, most herbs have multiple actions. But I also wanted to point out here that, you know, things don't have to be real sophisticated to be real helpful. You know, what, what can you keep in your, your bug out bag or your vehicle or at your office, uh, in kind of an herbal first aid response type thing that's, that's simple and easy and, and doesn't even attract attention? Uh, good quality peppermints. I can't tell you how calming to the stomach a good, and this is not, not, not a cheap, artificial, you know, but a good quality peppermint candy made from real peppermint oil, uh, has a very calming effect on the stomach. Clove as well. Clove, even just a, a little bit of clove tea calming on the stomach. You can actually, it's going to be a spicy tea, but a clove ginger tea is going to be very uh, calming to the, the stomach. And that might be something you add chamomile to for some of the other actions that it brings. But again, um, real simple uh, stuff here, folks. Antiemetic, and every time you're in your kitchen or, or working somewhere and you pick up anise or peppermint or clove or ginger, think antiemetic. And think about the fact that it helps calm your stomach. Because this is the stuff that, like, you might not always have the opportunity to sit down with your herb book and pick out. And you might be in a situation where, you know, someone's really sick to their stomach. And just knowing, hey, peppermints do this. Start reinforcing this so it becomes everyday practical knowledge. Um, the next one is another one that I'm, I'm going to bet most of you have never heard before. And that is appearant. Again, appearant. I'm not actually even sure on that pronunciation, but I believe it's correct. It's spelled A-P-E-R-I-E-N-T, appearant. 
And what that is is an herb that is a gentle stimulant to your digestion. And that means it's also going to have a mild laxative action. So why is it just a laxative? Because an aperient doesn't just have a laxative action, and it is a very mild laxative action. We all know what laxative means. Helps you, helps you go number two, right? Um, but an aperient basically has that action because it improves digestion. So if you are uh, better digesting your food, better absorbing the nutrients for it, better processing it through your stomach and your bowel and your lower intestine, obviously you're going to have an easier time with that function that you know everybody does every day but nobody wants to talk about. But it's really, for, for a therapeutic effect, it's really more about improving your digestion. And some aperient herbs that, uh, you know, you've probably either got in the backyard or maybe you've eaten in some bread recently or maybe you've had some tea with recently, flax, rose hips, and dandelion. All of those are gentle digestive stimulants. Dandelion can be, if you take dandelion greens, and they are kind of bitter, so a lot of people who get dandelion green and not be so bitter, you get a bunch of them together, you boil them, and you remove the water, and that, that takes out and leaches out some of the bitterness, but it also leaches out some of the therapeutic agents. But what if in that big salad, you just put in a few dandelion leaves? Well, you get 100% of the effect of the dandelion, and that bitterness is offset by the sweetness of maybe some tomato and some lettuce, and you'll find that a lot of things that taken alone that are quite bitter, when they're put into a combination with other things, they're no longer that bitter. You know, another way to use dandelion and not have a real heavy effect of bitter is in stir fries. You know, a few dandelion um, leaves and even some dandelion flour chopped up, dropped into a stir fry, the bitterness kind of gets dissipated against all the other greens and all the other vegetables in the stir fry. But it gives you 100% of that digestive, digestive stimulant effect. Rose hips, great digestive stimulant. Um, and, and they taste great. I mean, you can eat rose hips, honestly, straight up. Uh, but they make a great tea. They make a great jelly, right? So rose hip jelly. So now a food becomes a digestive aid. So if you have a little bit of digestive trouble, and maybe it's because it's just the day where you're having it, or because the shit's hit the fan, folks, and we're, we've changed to a diet that we don't really, we're not really used to. Then things like rose hips and flax and, and dandelion can help us adjust to that new diet. And in, in a really bad situation, that's a good thing to know. But now, when you walk outside and you see those dandelions either in pretty yellow or with their little fuzzy things blowing everywhere, don't just think, hey, that can be salad. That's a period. And what that means is it'll help aid my digestion. And all of a sudden, you start to really have... Real, again, practical knowledge. The next one, you may have heard, and this one you should, this should be something, you know, the way it sounds even should kind of tell you what it is. And it's carminative. Carminative. And that kind of sounds like calming. And that's a good way to remember it. Carminatives are calming. A carminative soothes the stomach, promotes digestion. So here's another digestion aid. But the other thing that it does is it either helps prevent gas, or if you have gas pain, it helps to expel gas. Again, not a topic we really enjoy talking about unless we're men and drinking beer and making jokes. And, uh, yeah, we, we make a lot of jokes about that when we're drinking beer with the guys. But, really, it's not something that's, you know, dinner table conversation generally. 
But gas pain sucks. I don't know if you've ever actually had really bad gas pain. Uh, it's, it's, it's not a comfortable situation. And if we're ever without, you know, modern medicine, it's something that, you know, you're going to want to know how to relieve. You're certainly going to want to know how to prevent. And then again, if we're in a shit at the fan and we've had to switch our diet over, being able to use these herbs as part of our planning and prepping and initiation of our plan, if we have to go into it, helps us with that conversion process to be able to get onto that new diet and accept it. And so what are some aperient herbs? I'm going to have some carminative herbs. I'm sorry, guys. Um, here's I bet you these are in your home or have been in your home, or at least two of them have. Basil, chamomile, cumin. Uh, chamomile is available in, in every supermarket in herbal teas. It should be growing in your backyard. It's one of the herbs that should be in your yard. It's one of the things that should be in your flower garden or mixed in as predator habitat into your vegetable garden or under your fruit trees. But somewhere on your property, you should be growing chamomile. But if you're not, you can get chamomile tea at any store. It's a great nightcap tea. It's a great calming tea. And it does all of the things that we would expect from a carminative. It is probably one of the best herbs for tea there is. But let's look at another one, basil. Basil um, is something that, you know, we, we cook with basil almost on a daily basis through the summer, fresh basil. I have it growing everywhere. So it's part of the daily diet for a lot of people, and it has that soothing to the stomach, promoting digestion, preventing gas, and cumin. Cumin's a great cooking spice. If you have a spice rack, even if you, you know, didn't go out and buy all your own spices, if you bought one of those generic off-the-shelf spice racks that comes preloaded, it's probably got cumin in it. It's a traditional uh, a spice in chili. Maybe now we know why. Helps to mitigate some of those chili effects. Maybe not sufficiently. Maybe you need to add a little more cumin uh, for some of us. But, I mean, again, I want you, so now, when you go outside in your yard and you see the basil plant, or you are cooking something and you pull the spice jar off the shelf and it says basil, or you get the cumin, or the chamomile flowers, or the chamomile tea, and when you're looking at that, I want you to think carminative. And I want you to realize what it does. Soothes the stomach, promotes digestion, and helps to prevent or expel gas. Make these things like a mental toolkit, where you don't have to always refer to something. And again, this is why I'm giving you the safe stuff today. Because there are herbs out there that take it in excess can be very dangerous. Everything I've given you so far is, is something you'd find in the kitchen, classified as a food. Um, next one, and this is one that any mother is going to know, uh, because you've probably had to deal with it with Robitussin and, and other things like that, trips to the doctor, uh, with, with people that are sick, like me right now. And that's an expectorant. Expectorant. Expectorant means it supports the respiratory system by expelling excess mucus. Another one of those things we don't want to talk about at the dinner table, but something that we would have to deal with. If you think about it, colds and flus, um, common excess mucus either in the, in the upper respiratory, lower respiratory system, or up in the sinus cavities. And having something that helps get that excess out of there is a big part of speeding recovery. And you think, well, that requires a trip to, to down to the store for some Robitussin, uh, you know, DE or EX or whatever the hell they call it now, um, or some NyQuil or some things like that, uh, or some really sophisticated herbs. Let me give you some uh, expectorant herbs, though, that, again, uh, you probably have around the house or have had around the house. Garlic, 
borage, spearmint. Garlic, again, something we cook with all the time. Uh, using it a little bit uh, heavier when you're sick has a lot of healing actions, expectorant just being one of them. One thing with garlic, folks, especially those of you that are eating garlic to help reduce cholesterol, garlic is very adversely affected by being fully cooked. The best garlic is raw garlic. And I know some people think it's really strong and strong smelling and all, but when you use it the right way, it's not. You throw in a garlic clove in your mouth, yeah. Finely chopped garlic mixed into a salad with dressing is good. That's pure raw garlic. And you get 100% of the therapeutic effect. But there's other ways to do this, too. Let's say you want to use garlic and you're making pasta. Chop your garlic. Reserve it till the end. Then when your spaghetti's nice and hot and you've got your, your sauce on it and all, sprinkle the extra garlic on it mix it in. It'll get sort of parsh like parboil cooked from the residual heat. It'll get warmed up. It'll infuse its oils throughout uh, the sauce or anything you're eating that can, that can have garlic added to it. You can do this with. And that'll keep the therapeutic effect high, especially if you're looking for cholesterol reduction with garlic. Uh, but again, it's a great expectorant. Maybe I need to go eat a couple cloves of it right now, help clear this damn cold out of me. Um, but another one, borage. Borage is, um, it's kind of not really a very attractive plant. It's kind of fuzzy, hairy leaves, and the leaves aren't, you know, to me they're not really usable at the table for anything. But it gets these pretty little blue flowers on it, and they taste like cucumbers. So they're a great thing to add to a summer salad. But saving some of it aside during the summer when we generally don't have these, you know, problems that would need an expectorant, uh, is a great way to have kind of an on-hand, always available expectorant. And it's something you're probably going to want to use like garlic and borage together. And if you really have a chronic problem, you're going to want to go into that herbal guide and maybe use some more, uh, more powerful herbs and combinations of herbs. But you're, I'm going to make you refer to a, a book to do that, because again, I'm not a doctor and I don't dispense medical advice. I just want to kind of familiarize you with all of these actions today. And another one, spearmint. And if that means if spearmint does it, so does one we have also mentioned already, peppermint. So we could use something like a combination of borage flour, spearmint, and garlic when we're sick to help get this stuff out of the chest. And there's other herbs that will do that as well. Again, I'll leave that to you to look them up. But again, what I want to do is reinforce what the word means and how common it is in our world. So the next time you're throwing garlic into some stir fry, the next time you're sautéing some butter and onions and garlic up to, to, to cook that deer tenderloin, or whatever, you're making some salsa with it, you know, think to yourself, this is an expectorant. And garlic is like everything. By the way, uh, most herbalists would tell you if they can only have one herb to work with, it would be garlic. Same thing with borage and spearmint. Peppermint, though, remember, expectorant. This is an expectorant. Um, the next one, hemostatic. A hemostatic arrests bleeding, or another way to look at it is prevent, prevent, uh, promotes the clotting of blood. This is one you got to be careful with. Um, this is not to say that you can go up and make your own clot packs about herbal, and when a guy's like got an artery spouting, you throw some dust on it, and uh, it's going to heal up uh, a, a spurting artery. That's not what I'm talking about here. Um, and anytime you start messing around with blood, and you're dealing with a person that has blood issues, 
Uh, you've got other potentials. So this is like internal bleeding and things like that. So this is one you definitely want to do more consultation with, but I didn't want to leave it out. And there's some really safe, really common uh, herbs out there that have a hemostatic effect. So this would maybe be something to test in a safe way with a woman maybe that's having prolonged periods. Again, another dinner, you know, non-dinner table topic, but I mean these are real things that happen. Or someone that's having a, a wound that's slow to heal, that continues to ooze blood. When I was a young man in the army, I busted my knuckle open on a tent stake, and I did it with a uh, close grip on a sledgehammer, pounding a tent stake uh, into the ground when I was in the army. And I mean, I opened it up bad. Uh, I still carry the scar from uh, that uh, to this day. And for a long time after that. Even when it was completely healed over and looked healed, any bump to the scar would cause it to bleed. So it's been an interesting thing to test that with. But because there are things that are completely safe that have this effect of stimulating the body to do its own stoppage of bleeding. Right? Because here's the thing. What we really want to do with herbs isn't, you know, okay, I have a headache, so instead of aspirin, I take willow bark. Because that's really not getting the point. Now there is the time for the acute use. My head's killing me. It's all I got. I'll try it. But herbology is more about tuning the body into an alignment so that your natural healing can heal itself. And I, I mentioned this before, and I'll mention it again now to drive this home. Doctors often think that drugs heal or that um, stitches heal or anything like that heals. Your body is always what actually does the healing. All the drug does or the herb does is eliminate something or encourage something to speed the healing process. And the way I can prove that to you very easily is if I take a razor blade and make a cut across the back of your forearm, a nasty cut, about an inch long, not deep into any major arteries where you're going to bleed really bad, but a cut you wouldn't want. A cut that probably should have some stitches, but it doesn't. And you don't bandage it, and you just keep it clean, and you don't do anything with it. As long as you don't get any kind of really bad infection, it might not even look really nice, it might leave a nasty scar, but it'll heal. And it'll heal completely, completely left to itself. As long as there's nothing in there, no bacterial infection, your body will fix it. If you are dead, if you're a corpse, and I cut the back of your forearm, and I pump your body, and I even, once you're completely dead, I mean, you've been dead for a long, you're not a life support, you're completely dead. But I, I leave your blood in you, and I put you on a circulatory system uh, machine, and I make your blood flow. I put you on a respirator, I make your body breathe, and I make your blood flow. You're as close to alive as you can be, but you're dead. You're gone. And I mean, again, this is something where you've been dead, and I put you on a machine like that. It's not life support. I'm just making your body go through the functions. And I cut you on the same cut, and I pump every antibiotic I can into you, every healing agent I can into you. I stitch the wound, I bandage the wound, and I leave you lay there. You'll never heal. Whether science wants to admit it or not, inside human beings there is a life force. And that life force is part of what heals us. And any herb is designed to encourage that life force. Or any drug, if it's, pro it's a proper use of the drug, is, in, is designed to either get something that's impeding that life force out of the way, or encourage it to act. So, back to what we were talking about. Hemeostatic. Helping to stop bleeding. What are some things that are probably in your backyard right now that can help with that? How about roses? So rose and rose hips. So rose petal tea 
helps to to uh, to stop bleeding. Now again, if you're sitting there and you're bleeding out and you drink rose tea for God's sakes, it's not going to stop. If you had a major artery cut in your arm and it's going squirt, 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 somebody balls up a bunch of rose petals and sticks them in there, it might act as kind of a plug, but it's not going to stop the bleeding. You know, so just because of how uh, I don't want people to go overboard with this, I want you to understand this is about minor bleeding, internal bleeding, aiding healing. And if you have any severe bleeding at all, internally or externally, you need to seek medical attention if you can. But another hemostatic, the, the bane of some people's existence because they can't get rid of them, blackberry. Blackberry is a hemostatic. And how about this one? Head on down to your local Home Depot, Lowe's, or garden shop. Pick up some geraniums. Geranium is a hemostatic. Uh, so there you go. So when you see the geraniums, when you see the blackberry bushes, when you see the rose, think hemostatic. And it's not complicated. These words sound complicated. They seem difficult to learn, but they're not. The next one today, Nervine. I bet you you know what that one is, even if you've never heard it before. Again, Nervine, N-E-R-V-I-N-E. A Nervine affects the nervous system by relaxing or stimulating it and or has a tonic effect. Tonic is something we're going to talk about in a future show. It's an individual herbal action. Well, a Nervine can have a tonic effect on the nerves, so i got to tell you what tonic is today anyway. When you say something has a tonic effect, it either means that it improves the nutritional absorption of a system and makes it more efficient, or a better way to look at it overall is it strengthens a system. If you take a tonic, a daily tonic, it's designed to strengthen your overall bodily processes. So if you have a nervine that has a tonic effect on the nerves, that basically just means it strengthens the nervous system and everything that goes along with that. And if you think about it, if you have something with a tonic effect on the nerves, it does have a tonic effect on the body. Because without the nervous system, nothing works. If you shut off the nervous system, your brain doesn't work. There's no, there's no mental activity. The spine doesn't work, the spinal cord anyway, and transmit all those neural impulses to the rest of your body. Your muscles don't work, your heart doesn't beat, you don't breathe. Shut the nervous system off, you die. So the nervous system, in conjunction with the circulatory system, the nerves and the blood, are the very life-giving essence to the body. Those two things have to be functioning highly for the body to be well-balanced. So if we want to be in better health, improving our nervous system is a great place to start. And again, we don't have to get all exotic to find things that have a positive or, uh, let's say, a stimulating uh, or a calming effect on our nervous system. Uh, I guarantee you, guarantee you, just about everybody listening to this show has had this one at least one time in your lives, and some of you do it every single morning, coffee. Coffee is a stimulating nervine. It stimulates the nervous system. It heightens neural activity. It can be used to excess, obviously. Have you ever seen somebody tweaking on coffee? You know, that's had like 16 espressos in one morning without eating, and they're just like, right? So it can go too far. But as a mild stimulant, a mild neural stimulant, it's highly effective, very common, and very safe. What about something that's more of a calmer, something that calms the nervous system? It can be used simply by smelling it, and it'll have that effect simply by absorbing the aroma into your system. Or it can be used as a tea, or it can be used as a food. 
and it will calm the nervous system in all of those ways. Very, very common, used extensively, you know, in the, the body wash and the perfume and the candles and the soaps and everything. And that's why, because it's such a calming herb. Lavender. Lavender is a calming nervine. And then another one that's become very common, and because it's calming to the neural system, and it's also tonifying to the neural system, it strengthens the neural system, strengthens neural activity, but yet keeps it in a calm, placid manner, St. John's Wort. So when you look at or see um, coffee, lavender, St. John's Wort, either the flower from St. John's Wort or the, you're at the, 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 the grocery store and you're looking for supplements, and even if you're not buying it, you see it there. Think Nervine. Lavender, that lavender bar of soap, that lavender candle, guys that your wife has on the uh, on the edge of the bathtub upstairs. The lavender growing in your backyard, calming to the neural system, a nervine. The next one is called a vacillator. Number nine, day, vacillator. A vacillator is important to know about. It's um, a lot of you guys have asked me, what do diabetics do when a shit hit the fan? And my answer is, it's not good. <laughs> I mean, there's I don't have a good answer for that. Especially a type 1 diabetic, um, where they just make no insulin at all, and we have no cure. The only way to keep a person like that alive and healthy is insulin. But someone that has uh, type 2 diabetes and has been fighting it on and off, and you have nothing else to rely on, and even a type 1, I mean, you're in a, if you're in a, a place where you just can't get insulin because of a situation, um, anything you can do to help, And one of the big problems that diabetics have is circulatory issues in their fingers and their, their toes and their feet. That's why a lot of them in, in later years lose body parts, especially if they don't take care of themselves. They lose toes. They lose feet. I've seen diabetics who have lost half a leg. And I've seen type 2 diabetics, which is really sad, that have lost limbs. Because most type 2 diabetics never had to be a diabetic in the first place. They control their eating and their diet. And many can eventually reverse it. But one of the things that even if you're just a diabetic and you uh, you're, you have your insulin, you can do is help improve your circulation any way you want. If you have an injury or a wound and you're not diabetic, and this is, again, why diabetics' wounds heal slowly, one of the main reasons is poor circulation. What helps that wound heal, what transmits that life essence to the wound is blood. If you have a... Uh, If you have an injury where they have to graft skin onto it, and they want that skin to take, and they want that wound to heal, they'll generally also graft blood vessels into that new tissue. Without blood, it's just dead tissue. It won't grow. It'll die. It'll atrophy. Anything that you can do that improves your circulation is, in general, uh, going to help improve your health. So what are some really exotic hard-to-find vacillator herbs that can improve our circulatory activity and replace expensive pharmaceuticals, cayenne pepper, parsley, and here it is again, folks, ginger. So just by cooking with herbs like parsley and ginger and cayenne, and of course if cayenne does it, then we can extrapolate from that that most hot peppers are going to do the same things. So your jalapenos, your serranos, your plebanos, All of those things, the good stuff that goes in Mexican food, right? Maybe it gives you a little bit more circulatory effect and helps with all that excess cheese. Seriously, guys, you can make great Mexican food without all the cheese. Cut that cheese out. When you, when you add carbs and protein together with cheese and fat, 
um, it, it has an overall bad effect. It's too much on the system. Uh, cheese on occasion is fine, but uh, you know don't overdo it, especially with the Mexican food because of the, the the high carbohydrate content when you put it together at the same time. But it does help us understand how people that eat diets in certain parts of the world that seem like they should be keeling over from heart attacks every other minute and they live longer than the average American. And they have less health condition, you know, they have less medicine, and yet some of these places, at least if they're clean and well-fed, these people seem to live much longer lives. Um, not third world at all, but another diet that we think of that that we uh, that has that effect is the French and the Mediterraneans. Now, they eat pasta, Mediterraneans eat pasta and cheese all the time and red wine, and they, and they live longer than we do. Probably because there's less stress in their life, but some of the things that people eat, that's what I'm trying to get across to you today. This is another reason to cook with herbs. Not just great flavor, not just because you can grow them in your backyard, but because overall, if you're taking a little bit of this stuff in all the time, you're improving your overall health. So again, vacillator, cayenne, parsley, ginger. So when you go out to your garden, you cut that big head of parsley off, and you chop it up, and you realize that parsley is for more than making a plate look pretty with a sprig of it. You chop up some parsley and you cook with that. And you put it into your soup or your stew or your saute uh, or whatever you're doing with parsley. Uh, chicken. Chicken's great with parsley. Large amounts of chopped up parsley. Think to yourself, this is a vacillator. This, this little green herb is improving the circulatory action of my, my entire circulatory system. Now, is it going to make you, is it going to heal you? If you have, if you are, you have a completely, uh, atrophied limb that's going to gangrene and you eat a bunch of parsley, is it going to heal it? No. Herbs are more about keeping the ball in the air than fixing it once somebody put a hole in the ball and it's flat on the ground. Never fail to seek medical treatment, I guess my disclaimer again, if you have severe problems. But using these things and understanding them and using them gently to aid uh, modern healing as well. And using them when there's no other choice. Because we're in a bad situation. That's why they're good things to know. The last one today is a vulinary. Vulinary. A vulinary is something that assists the body to heal wounds and is used externally. Uh, all not, I wouldn't say all vulinary herbs are used externally. But for vulinary use, they're used externally. So... This is, I have a big bad, I have that cut on my arm. And I am getting some infection. And it's not healing well. And I can't go get stitches in it. Because I'm at my bug out location and we're in the middle of a flu pandemic. And I'm at more risk of getting the flu and dying from the flu than I am of sitting here and treating my wound myself. But if I don't treat this wound, I can end up with staph. I can end up with MRSA. I can end up with just a general infection. I can end up with a gangus. Inf I mean, I got to do something. This is a bad wound. Well, I can make a poultice out of three very exotic plants. Extremely exotic. Hard to find. How about calendula, comfrey, and plantain? Most of our lawns have plantain in it. Plantain is a great herb uh, for healing. I remember my grandfather, if he would ever cut his hand or his finger or anything like that, he'd go out and pick up a couple plantain leaves, put them on his finger, and put a band-aid over it. And he would always heal amazingly quick. And it was amazing what something like that did. And that was it. It wasn't like you went out and made a poultice out of it or anything like that. He just took the leaves and put them on between the bandage and the skin. And it speeded healing. And you could genuinely see that it speeded healing. Your, 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 your general practitioner 
your classic doctor is going to say, oh, what it does is it has an antibacterial, and that's just your body healing itself, and it helps it not get infected. It doesn't heal any faster uh, as long as you kept both wounds covered uh, and, and free of any kind of infection, they would heal at the same rate. You can tell me that all you want. I can tell you that I watched an old man cut himself plenty of times growing up, uh, and, and I watched those cuts not only heal quickly but scar very little. So as far as I'm concerned, anyway, it works. I've seen the drawing action of making a poultice out of comfrey and calendula and putting it on an infected wound and covering it and then removing it a few hours later, and I've seen it literally pull infection out of the body. Now, does that mean that if you're about ready to have your foot cut off, you can make a big poultice to this stuff and save your foot? Probably not. Again, there's limitations to what we can do with these things. But I can tell you flat out that anytime you have any kind of a wound, that, that those three, which again, calendula you should be growing. I, I've learned that calendula flowers are good on everything from a salad to a stir fry. Um, I've used them in rice, uh, cooking with rice. Uh, it doesn't really yellow it the way saffron does, but it has a, a great flavor that it brings to rice. Uh, I've used it for everything. And uh, calendula is also known as pot marigold. It, they the flowers taste good. They're good on wounds. They're good um, insect bites or stinks. So calendula should be in your backyard anyway. And there's tons of products made from it if you just want to go buy it. Comfrey is a wonder plant as far as I'm concerned. You should be growing comfrey if for nothing else uh, the, the, the basic gross-looking black compost tea that it makes when it breaks down. It's one of the greatest things in the world that you can grow just to have nutrient to add to your garden. And it does so many other things, including helping to dry out infections and heal wounds as a bullinary. And again, planting, if you don't have it in your yard, go to Sand Mountain Herbs, buy a few bags of seeds, make up some seed balls and toss it in your yard in the spring. You'll have more of it than you want. Don't do it to your neighbor. He'll be mad because they'll see it as a weed. But I think planting is something that we should have growing on our properties as well. So when you see calendula, comfrey, or planting, remember, they're a bullinary. There's something that aids and speeds the healing of wounds. And they may be one of the most important things I've talked to you about today because it's one of the things, and it shit hit the fan, that's a real danger is an infected wound. And it's one of the things that we can actually do something about with natural plant remedies at a very high level. The success rate of getting wounds to heal by using things like this is very high and, again, very safe. And if you, if you, if you have a bad wound, Go to the doctor. But if you can't get to the doctor, these are a fallback. And that wraps up today's show. I hope it's interesting. I hope you guys are doing okay dealing with my voice, man. I I'm really sorry about this, but either I get on to do the show or it doesn't happen. And uh, it's uh, it's been tough. And I've had to pause probably more than you realize today just to uh, take a swig of tea or something just so I can get the words out. Uh, but I'm going to keep it coming, and I'm going to keep bringing them to you, and I'm going to keep using my own herbs on my own throat. Uh, I've got some good stuff coming up for you I want to remind you of. Again, I am interviewing Patriot Nurse next week. She's advised me to get myself on heavy doses of vitamin D and zinc to deal with this cold. I'm going to try that, uh, so there's a little bonus in there today. Additionally, uh, call me crazy, but even with the bad voice, I'm doing another interview today. Uh, that's going to be done about 1 o'clock, and I'll publish it tomorrow morning. And Marjorie Wildcraft from Backyard Food Production is coming back on. And this time, instead of talking about growing stuff and, and permaculture and the DVD, she's going to come on and talk about establishing local communities 
uh, that we can re- where we can rely on each other if times get really tough. She's gotten very deep into that subject and she's been very successful with it. And uh, I thought it was a great subject to have her come back on and talk about. So that show will air tomorrow, which means tomorrow, uh, even though I have to do two today, one of the shows will be her doing most of the talking. I can rest my voice. And then tomorrow I don't have to do a show. And hopefully Friday when I come back and do a listener call-in show like I always do, uh, I'll be a little bit stronger, a little less hoarse. And with that, hope you've gotten a lot out of today's show. Again, three more are coming, one next week, one the week after, one the following week. We'll go over all... 40 herbal actions. I'll give you common stuff to go with it. And I want you to start for the next week. Anytime you go to the store, anytime you go anywhere, look for some of the stuff I talked about today. It's all listed in the show notes, maybe even printed out, and get those things that, you know, Nervine, uh, you know, Volinary, all these things. Get them into your head. Even if you don't, you know, can't recite them, it doesn't matter. Just the next time you pick up that herbal guide and you read that an herb is a vulnerary, um, instead of having to look it up in a glossary immediately, you'll know what it is and you'll know what it does. Eventually, you'll be walking around and you'll be like, oh, that's good for my stomach. Oh, that's good for, for, for pain. Oh, that's good for inflammation. You'll start to realize that when we walk through nature, we're literally walking through a pharmacy. And with that, this has been another episode of the Survival Podcast with Jack Spierko, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
Yeah.